You are listening to Mosaic's Midweek Podcast. Through a series of personal reflections and stories, we share how the kingdom of God is breaking into our hearts and our city as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mosaic Midweek Podcast. I got Zaru with me. Zaru, what's up? What's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome back to another episode here. Um, we are talking about, uh, we're continuing on in Lent and in kind of the the ache, the physical hunger that really this season is supposed to be about. And one of the things we've been talking about is, is confession, mm-hmm. which is a uh, <laughs> not a favorite practice of right. most people. Right. Uh, I would say probably of no one. Right. Uh, and yet I think it is an invitation of the Lord. So uh, one of the things that I was speaking on a couple weeks ago that I would love your take and to flesh out a bit more is this, this the temptation to try and differentiate our real selves uh, from what we desire people's perception of us to be. Yeah. So, I mean, how have you seen this play out in your own life and what do you, how do we fight this? Yeah. For me, it's an interesting story because I've been doing ministry stuff for years. Like I started like leading music ministry since I was like eighth grade playing guitar and singing. And so it's something I've had to fight a lot because being perceived as someone that was not my real self was always the way I could like feel comfortable in my ministerial duties. Right. So what that looked like, even, even, and, and, and if it wasn't keeping me from showing people my real self, I knew how to show my real self in an oppressive way. Right. Confession can be a very important healing exercise or a very manipulative exercise to try to like be like, oh, you see this person recognizes this about himself. So repentance must be on the other side. And so it was still a way for me to try to like project strength. And that's mm-hmm. been a huge part of my story, this projection of strength that was really resistant to being weak. Uh, my dad had reminded me on a phone call the other day, like, Zaru, weakness is the way. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, weakness is the way, and I hated that my real self was such as weak. And so, yeah, I've, I've experienced this tremendously in my life because in, in a mysterious ministerial setting, I felt like showing a bunch of people my weakness wouldn't give them the confidence to like be a holy Christian or a Christian who could do it as well. It's like, I, well, first I didn't want them to be like, oh, it's comforting that Drew's struggling with the same stuff and he's in this position. Because that means, like, I have someone with me. I felt solidarity in that regard wasn't an encouragement. It was a sign that I couldn't live a powerful Christian life. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I've definitely projected strength as that differentiation has yeah. tried to come into Yeah. Yeah, I think it, uh, sort of this idea that we, I think we have to come to terms with, with just our real selves. Right. Uh, there is part of me that thinks maybe we end up believing or just telling ourselves that we are better off than we actually are. Right. Uh, and so we have, we have sort of come, we have not come to terms with some of just the stuff that is in us uh, that we would rather not, uh, we, we have pushed off for so long that we actually have come to believe that that's not part of our life anymore. Yes, yes. And that ends up crippling us. Uh, just ends up hand, and uh, it honestly ends up handicapping us in a way that we're not in real intimate community. We're in a we're in community, and it's sort of a 
a faux community yeah. where we will allow enough people in only so much. Right. Uh, and we will make sure everyone else stays at a bit of an arm's length because it, because we're just afraid yes. of what is going to happen if we let people into a, a more intimate, vulnerable space. So the question becomes, I mean, how do we, yeah, how do we fight against that? What does right. that look like? Yeah, I think uh, reminders like my dad's are pretty significant in my journey of how to fight the temptation to think confession is not necessary or that things I'm doing or believing are not as bad as I think. I think the fight against a faux community is a, a, a greater uh, like revealing of yourself to people. And uh, like, so we were like, kind of, I think, I think uh, we were just talking about before we started recording this podcast, basketball, right? And how basketball, it can tend to bring out the worst of us. But that's not always a bad thing, because it's good for people to Mm -hmm. see that side. I I used to, I quit basketball for a year, because I hated what it brought out in me. I hated when people Mm -hmm. would see my reactions. I, I, I didn't like them seeing my sanctifying moments. But yeah, there was that encouragement, like, all right, first of all, Zeru, chill out. But there was also the, hey, you're good, man. Like there, we can we can work through this and having people be able to see that was like 50%, 60% of the battle of fighting the folk community. Mm. Right. Because that revelation of who I actually am, which as you so importantly recognized on Sunday, a couple weeks back, it's not just that I'm a sinner, but it's also like that I'm a saint, right? Uh, the, the sinner parts of me are now tended to gently rather than me trying to, only recognize them myself and try to manage them alone. If another person is invited into that or a group of people like basketball, what, 10 of us, um, there, there's a sense in which they are aware of a portion of you that they didn't yet see before. And even if they don't say anything, they, they, they can be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that's always just like this humbling point of me like I don't have to freak out when people see that in me anymore it used to be like oh shoot let me damage control uh share hey I, this was an off day this that and that it's like nah um I I did this I said this that, that's my fault but like that that's me you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying and so I think part of not freaking out when those things happen when people see you is a pretty encouraging step in the right path of yeah, a, a, that's a great. Possible community. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely think the the moments of uh, exposure right. are are actually moments where we're opening ourselves up to let other people in, right? Um, as opposed to just this projecting constantly. Absolutely. Um, who we who we would like to be perceived to be, be right? Yeah. yeah. How how do we move from a place of seeing God? as our loving father running to embrace us and not a condemning judge ready to sentence us. Yeah. I think, I think language Jesus uses about the father is pretty helpful for that. Like, you know what I'm saying? In Matthew six, when he talks about the the father who provides, he knows all of your, like, you know, he knows all of your worries. Don't be anxious for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own or, or look at the um, grass. Aren't they, clothed with more splendor than Solomon was and look at the birds. Does he not watch out for you more, more than he looks after them? And the way he views them is very, very highly. It's not like these animals are just this like 
abysmal thought to him. They're like beloved creatures of his. So I think Jesus's language helps us to see him as a loving father. But how, but if you're asking like how we've moved from loving father to the sentencing, I'll, I'll kind of get it both from both perspectives. I know how I kind of moved from seeing him from loving father to condemning judge was just some theological circles uh, that I had kind of moved in. And I may have listened to some voices that were a little too heavy on the importance of remorse over sin. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't just remorse that was lead to healthy repentance. It was like, oh, it wasn't about the kindness of God leading me to repentance. It was about the egregiousness of my sin. And if I'm not seeing fruit in other areas, then um, there, 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 there's a discrepancy there with my profession of faith. It might not be real. It might not be accurate. So how I transitioned from seeing God as loving father before that to condemning judge was just like, ah, my, my sins are not yet mastered. So therefore, this, this seems he, ha- he has a lot of wrath for sin, right? A lot of diving into Romans and kind of Luther's theology about the wrath of God really affected me, even though he wanted us to see the righteousness of God as a gift imparted to us. His monastic struggle before he was converted to Protestantism, if you will, so that's a simplistic defining of his journey, it, it, it resonated with me. It's like you, you, he said, I learned to hate the wrathful God of the Bible. And so that was just kind of me. I kind of looked at him from that, but then the transition back from him being a condemning, uh, sentencer to a loving father was kind of the language of Jesus, the life of Jesus mm-hmm. and, and the community of faith that Paul speaks to when he addresses them tenderly, when it comes to combating sin, when it comes to, uh, dismaying and avoiding divisive people in our lives for the sake of corporate unity, for the sake of our worship, for the sake of our peace with one another. And that, that has shown me a new aspect of the heart of and character of God back to loving when he sees me despite my real self. And in, in light of my real self, in light of my real mm-hmm. self, like the you that the me that I am right now is the me that Jesus loves. And because of that's the language that Jesus uses when he talks about his father towards hurting and vulnerable people, and that's the type of language Paul uses when he addresses the church, or John when he calls them beloved, right? These uh, designators uh, that we see in our Bible, these nouns and pronouns that are addressed towards us, they're very significant in the Bible. We just kind of pass over them, but that language is kind of like, yeah, all right, so this is how the Father sees me. He, he's, he really isn't mainly just the sentencer. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I've seen myself move from and some other people in my circles. Move from that. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I, it's, it's hard to know this for a fact, but I have a feeling that whether or not you had uh, an unbelievable father, yeah. uh, earthly father, or whether you had, or whether you don't even know your father, right. um, or whether you had an abusive father or a, just a, a really poor, a poor father. Yeah. Um, I feel like in the moments of great joy, earthly father, earthly fathers are merely shadows right. uh, of the, of our heavenly father. And in moments of sheer, uh, desperation or even evil, Earthly fathers are the antithesis of a our heavenly father, right? And I think what it, wherever we fall on the spectrum, I'm sure most of us fall somewhere 
in between those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea is how we view um, how we view God is colored by how our relationship with our earthly fathers, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's almost impossible to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is a differentiation that as you grow in your walk with Jesus, you are able to to pull those things apart. But just in the way we relate to our parents uh, at any stage of life. Yeah. Uh, it's affected the yes, way we, we've seen God as just well. just the lens that we look at God through typically comes through the lens that we look our own, the, the lens at which we see our own father. Especially with the term father, right? Yes, like, right. Especially with the term. That's the thing, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what makes it in, inseparable, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that it is just downright difficult to believe that God is our father because father implies a level of intimacy that judge does not provide. Right. Judge literally uh, implies a, a clearing of your name uh, if you are innocent or a sentencing of you if you're guilty and then a moving on. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the word father implies so many more layers of relational depth than a judge does. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of angst uh, around that, particularly as we think about our own dads, right, uh, and what that what that could mean. So, I think there it's it's obviously the sweetest relationship that God is our Father, and yet uh, for some of us can be the most scariest. Yes. Um, so, having said that, you know, confessing your sins to God as a father in our best moments may seem um, maybe not easy, but uh, Easy, growing easier right. uh, because we're growing in confidence of approaching God. But confessing your sins to one another pro- continues to prove to be difficult. Right. So no matter really who you ask, uh, so what are some, what do you think are some steps to take to get to a place where confessing and sharing with one another is a regular practice? Yeah, uh, this is going to sound a little self-serving, but it's really important finding safe people. It's, it's, it's always, it's been crucial we've been talking about this for the past few months as well so hopefully i didn't steal one of your points <laughs> but yeah finding safe people is crucial because and and what i would consider as a safe person just to define that really quickly is somebody who is able to uh write like you shared not be surprised by what you share them in the sense that the shock just completely um obfuscates any desire to share further you know, there's an ability to hold even the most um, outlandish of sins that you share with them without judgment being the initial reaction. And so finding that is hard, though, because sometimes you have to take risk. So mm-hmm. with finding safety comes a taking risk that I think is probably like the hardest part. At some point, you will never be 100% confident that one person is safe until you actually do the confessing. And so I think that's where some of the heartbreak and disillusionment of confusion, uh, confession comes in because you might have got burned before. You might have felt the weight of someone's judgment of you with something you already feel incredibly condemned by. Even if it is something like that is so important that it might like uh, call for legislative means, you still need those people in your life who are able to carry that with the weight of love. And, and rebuke. But yeah, um, finding the safe people, I, I would say, um, yeah, reading 
uh, reading intensely the room in the sense of like when you're in different communities where you might be in a group of people, whether you're at a party, whether you're at a dinner, uh, reminiscing on the encounters you had with people, like in conversations you've had, even if they've seen pretty um, surfacey, there might have been a connection you felt with someone. Like that's important to follow. Like uh, maybe not every person you felt happy talking to is an indication of someone safe to talk to, but it's worth examining. So those are kind of some helpful things that have been for me in evaluating who should I share this mess mm. with? And by God's grace, I've been I've been very encouraged by the majority of people I've been able to share my sins with because of just a couple of those things I bear in mind. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, I, I would affirm the the safety piece. Yeah. Something that's interesting is I, I think for if you look at the life of Jesus, who who had 70 or so folks who followed him around. Um, and then he had 12 that he was in tighter relationship with. But then he had three mm-hmm. uh, who went with him to some intimate, vulnerable spaces that he invited them into. Yeah. Um, and I think there's just, there's a really helpful model there uh, for us as we think about our own relationships. The reality is we are emotionally limited beings. We right. only are able to share an emotionally vulnerable space with so many people. Um, we just don't have the, we don't have the time and we don't have the, we don't have the emotional capacity to right. do that. So who are the trusted people, uh, the three or four trusted people in your life that you, they, you are a safe place and they are a safe place to confess sin, yep. but not necessarily a safe place to sin right. or to affirm sin, I should say. Uh, and so how do we become that for other people and how, um, how do we walk with other people as they become that for us? Right. Uh, and the second thing I think is probably the scariest, which is just brutal honesty. So when we're confessing sin, this, this notion of like hedging your bet and not naming in specificity what it is, right. whatever it is. Uh, and we keep it really vague, I actually think that just halts the process of killing sin mm. uh, because we're not really bringing it to the light, we're bringing it to the door. Right, but right. we got to bring it into the into the room and turn the light on and say, this is what it is. Right. So that's I think that's hard. It's very, very hard. Right. And uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but that's what we call it a practice. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing I want to say about that is just that's why it's so important for people who hold what people share with us in community, whether it's the three or four, if you have more or less than that is why confidentiality is so important because, because uh, there can be many reasons why people only bring their sins to the door. It's not only uh, like a single factor that might bring someone to, but it will definitely, people might not even get to the door if what you've shown is an inability to hold what they've shared with you not only uh, caringly, but confidentially mm-hmm. because of, yeah, it's like, how, how did you know this? I've only shared this with this group of people. And so bringing it to the light, people can be really drawn away from it. If, if the Christian community shows themselves unable to care for their confidentiality. Right. And I'm talking about like uh, more internal turmoil sins than it is sins that put other people at danger. Like sure. if those, if sure. there are people, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that, that's that whole, what does it mean to 
to trust people. Right. Uh, and what does it mean to be a trusted individual? Yeah. And so sometimes defining the terms of like, right. here's what we mean when here's we say this is a community yeah. uh, uh, that's built on trust. And then is it, and I spoke on this uh, last time, but is it a two-way street, you know, or is it just a one-way confessional? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in the confessional of not just, of really saying out loud, you know, you are forgiven. There is a there is something to be said for vocalizing yes. the forgiveness and receiving the pardon of God uh, on behalf of his representatives. Right. That is a really powerful thing. So, again, I don't think any of us have a corner on the market of what it means to practice confession, but I do think there is something tangible and powerful about walking it out. Yes. Uh, and if you do it over the course of many, many, many years with a few trusted people, the relationships that you build are, uh, they cannot be replicated right. uh, that because they are gifts from God. Oh, uh, trusted, trusted friends who are able to say hard things to you and also receive hard things from you, uh, quite frankly, is, is what it really means to be the family of mm. God. So uh, a long process, one that takes a lifetime to see through, but one that is very w- well worth the journey. So, uh, for Zeru, this is Wes Mills. We'll see you next time.